Welcome to the One Football Premier League podcast. Conte controls City, Lukaku looking lonely, Ragnik rejuvenates Reds, plus plenty more on today's podcast. As joining myself, Matt Froelicher, Dan Burke. Hello. And Alex Mott. <laughs> Hello. What did you think of that? I could see you smiling. <laughs> impressed, mate, impressed. <laughs> that was a big breath you took before saying all of that. There's, there's going to be there's going to be a lot to come down. I'm I'm really glad you can make it. To be honest, I I'm thought not. I thought I tried my best to worm my way out of it, didn't I? <laughs> That's what I was expecting. Some sort of cop out text from you, but no, you're a good City fan. You're one of the old school, so uh, that's true. Yeah, and I, I knew th- I knew that you'd stick with it. Um, I thought I'd start with a piece of random news that Jack Wilshere has gone to Denmark. Did you mm. hear about this move? He's did, yeah. joined AGF Aarhus, I think, after mm. eight months without a club. And the reason I thought I'd bring it up is because there was the most brilliant reply on Twitter that was probably nabbed from somewhere else. And someone said, where's that? And he went, in the middle of our street. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. <laughs> and off the bat, I was thinking, I don't know why, but I can imagine Dan having a little smirk at this, being like, oh. That is good, to be fair. Yeah, I'll give him that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's got a whole PR team what, writing jokes for him and stuff, <laughs> yeah. but that'll be fair play, yeah. Just, just for a couple of measly likes. It worked for me. And um, and talking of madness, that is where we will start this weekend. Good segue. Oh, very good. <laughs> it's like I wrote it down beforehand. Um, the, that word accurately describes what we saw in added time as Manchester City's late equaliser was beaten by an even later winner for Spurs in their 3-2 victory. Uh, we've gone from the title race being over to the title race being back on in the space of a month. Alex, on the It's scale- almost like it was never over in the first place, isn't it? <laughs> I knew you were it's it's almost like up. it was January when people were saying this <laughs> bullshit. <Yeah. laughs> You'll get your turn today, Dan. Um, Alex, on the scale of one to ten, how much of a chance do you give Liverpool at this point? Oh, um, I mean, a game in hand, a game in hand, yeah, six game in behind. hand, maybe like six or seven. I still ultimately think City are going to win the league, but it's sort of, I mean, it's definitely turned things around. All sort of like the narrative around the season so far, it's definitely changed that. I thought it was. I mean, it was a ama- it was an amazing game. I thought Tottenham played it absolutely perfectly. I'm sure you've got plenty to say on it, Matt. But um, yeah, it was just everything that uh, the Premier League is and should be. Really, I thought it was yeah, it was just a really, really brilliant game, and loved watching it as a neutral. A great <laughs> advert for the Premier League. Is that what yeah, saying, yeah. <laughs> that's the line everyone always goes to. Um, Spurs did play this one perfectly, like you mentioned. I think Conte's tactics outfoxed City somewhat. Uh, but what is it about this Spurs team that constantly seems to have City's number, Dan, regardless of the man in charge? I mean, we're talking right now, uh, Guardiola is the only um, manager to lose to Pochettino, Mourinho, Nuno and Conte, the last four Spurs managers. <laughs> I don't, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I was on the phone to my dad before and he was telling me how he's hated Spurs ever since the 1981 FA Cup final. So <laughs> he, he's fuming this week. I'd love uh, to get him on the phone to my it's dad. It's going to be <laughs> Just opposing views there. would be brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we've, we've always had a bit, of, uh, a bit of problems when it comes up against Spurs. Um, and the, and the games that we've lost in recent years have all been very different. It's all been like, how many different ways can you lose the same football match? And City have kind of demonstrated that. And I think with this game in particular, um, 
Guardiola or City's kind of Achilles heel is teams that can break against them with quality. Like that's why we've struggled against against Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's United in recent years, because they can sit back behind the ball and then hit you on the counter attack with quality, which a lot of teams can't. You know, you play most teams in the Premier League who, who sort of park the bus and they have no outlet when they when they try and break downfield, and City can just sweep it up and, and absorb that kind of nicely. Whereas when you've got Harry Kane dropping deep, picking through balls through the middle, you've got Hyungmin Son running through, you've got Kulosevsky, you know, you've got players of that quality who can really do damage to you. That is how you beat City. Uh, not every team could do that. Not every team will play like that. You know, Liverpool aren't going to play like that when they come to the Etihad. They're going to come and come and play against City and, and come out and, and there'll be space for City to exploit. Whereas... I mean, a lot of City fans were, myself included, pretty frustrated at the way there was a lot of sort of aimless crosses going into the box at the weekend. But when the 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 the, the space between the lines is so tight, what are you really supposed to do? It's it's so hard to just sort of dribble around four or five players and get into the box or or work a nice little passing move into the box. City did that a couple of times, but you, Spurs defended pretty well for the most part, and it was a couple of defensive errors that that uh, that, get, that gave City their goals or you know a, a handball as well. But I don't really see how City could have could have played the game much differently, or, or I didn't think they played particularly badly. It was just one of those games where it just didn't sort of the ball didn't didn't drop for them, and Spurs took their chances, and uh, it's yeah looking like a bit of a tactical masterclass, isn't it? I think what was so what was so impressive about Tottenham on Saturday is that, uh, like you said, Dan, that this is the way to beat City. But if it was that easy, teams would just do it all the time, wouldn't they? I know mm. Palace did it earlier on in the season. And I think you were at that game, weren't you, Dan? And Zaha's yeah. pace caught, caused a lot of problems that day. And it was, yeah, just the way that Kane and Song, especially for that first goal, the way that they linked up, I thought was just absolutely brilliant. They played it to a tee. Conte sort of, he knew what he was doing when he went into the game. And they sort of, they had their game plan and just played it perfectly. It was, yeah, it was amazing to see, and especially after the sort of few weeks that Conte's had and, you know, there was certain, especially the past week where he's been calling out Daniel Levy and the squad and all that sort of stuff. It's, um, yeah, it was brilliant. Really, really brilliant game. I loved it. Do, do you think that Guardiola maybe has to attempt attempt to play this a little bit better throughout the rest of the season? Because surely, like you said, if it was that easy, everyone would do it. Everyone's not doing it. But there is something to be said about coming down to the better teams in the Champions League that are they going to be able to look at this result and think, hold on, we've got an angle in here against City. Because I don't, I, like you said, I don't think it's anything new against Guardiola. I think having quick players like Carl Walker often nullifies the threat. But I seem mm. to remember Adama Traore breaking twice for Wolves against City. Was that last season? Uh, season before, yeah. I think. Yeah, he, he, it, it was literally two Wolves attacks and Traore went, yeah, this is me. And that was it, 2-0 at the Etihad. And I remember thinking at the time, Guardiola probably do something about this. But surely he actually has to get to a point where you can't just play and hope that teams don't have the quality because then you can get turned over against teams that are going to be better than Tottenham as well. Yeah, I don't know if it's a bit of a blind spot or, or, or something like that from, from Guardiola or, or he sort of lulled himself into a bit of a false sense of security because... They kind of changed the, the the way they were defended a little bit last season, and that was how they they ended up winning the winning the league. They went on a big long run where they weren't conceding goals, where they were defending really well, where Stones and Diaz were were not letting much pass them, and they weren't getting broken against very easily. And I don't know if they've sort of gone into this game against Spurs thinking Spurs are in terrible form, we can squeeze them up. You know, they're not going to do anything to us, they're not going to worry us, and we'll we'll win the game quite easily. And 
you often get the sense with City in the first sort of two or three minutes of a game how it's going to go and, and obviously this one they'd fallen behind pretty early but first 10-15 minutes was you could just tell it wasn't it wasn't going right for them Spurs were pushing them out wide and Sterling was getting no change out of Ryan Sessegnon so they moved him over and then then that sort of nullified Foden's threat then I was just very frustrated from very very early on in this game, and and it just it just I just had the sense that City weren't going to get back into it. Then when they did make it one one, and it sort of gets to half time and the, the start of the second half, I thought this is City's game now. They'll they'll go in and win this, but it, they just never really built on that kind of momentum and, and could what, never make it make it count. What surprised me was the, apart from that, that was going getting two two with the penalty, and then immediately within whatever it was forty five seconds conceding again. That showed a sort of I don't know, a sort of mental fragility that we haven't really seen from City before, which which really surprised me. But whether that is complacency setting in, you know, I know I know everyone's sort of striking against that, but to win nineteen out of twenty two games and especially the past few where they just they've waltzed games, to then come up against a side that were so determined and so dogged. I don't know. It's it's an interesting conundrum for Guardiola going forward. Well, it's it also shows good mental fortitude from Spurs to go on and win yeah, the game from that yeah, point. They true. could they could easily have crumbled there, couldn't they? And I think football fans, a lot of them are, are sort of guilty of, of focusing a bit too much on their own team. And you know, a lot of City fans are looking at the defending for the goals and uh, what could we have done better. And it's like you know, sometimes in football, shit happens. Like yeah. a, a mistake, mistakes can be made. You know, Ruben Diaz is pretty much flawless. He makes a mistake for that first goal. It changes everything. You know, like I said, Spurs cocked up for. The the first goal, City fans aren't saying, "Oh, you know." City fans aren't complaining about the Spurs defending, and, and but it would have been a completely different game if they'd uh, if if Larice doesn't make that mistake as well. So it's just it was just chaotic, really, wasn't it? Which is something that City try and guard against for the most part, but sometimes they get sucked into it, and that's what happens. I was going to say that seems part of the Spurs game plan—a little bit chaotic, a mm. lot of hard work. It wasn't always going to be perfect, but we can't talk about this game without talking about Harry Kane's performance. <laughs> Uh, when we mentioned perfect, I'd give him a 10 out of 10. Uh, I'd give him an 11 if it was possible. I, I We spoke about this briefly earlier, Dan. I find it difficult to consistently almost back up this, this discussion of trophies and he should leave to win and all this stuff. And people's seemingly lack of ability to distinguish it from a top footballing performance. Because if you put performances like that each week, and Kane will know that he hasn't been consistent enough this season, in a good enough team, you're going to be winning trophies. But I think regardless of which team you're playing, how many trophies you won, that has to be looked at as one of the best performances definitely of the season, surely, from mm. an all-round striker to be doing that. Where do you think it, co- it comes from? Do you think he's do- he's doing that because it's against City and he-, he nearly joined City and he wants to prove a point, or has he been working towards a performance like? Because I mean, look, the the Leicester comeback the other week, he played an amazing through ball in on- that game. Honestly, didn't he? he has been doing a lot a lot of playmaking and taking on the playmaking role for quite some time. Ericsson left a couple of seasons ago. Deli Ali hasn't been at his best for quite a while, and it's left Spurs really without a number ten. Um, and it's kind of seen his role, and I'm not sure it's necessarily him. I think there's a few other players who are a fine example of it. I, in a in a wider discussion that we could probably go on for about hours, I think the number ten in football is becoming a bit obsolete. Certainly in a central role, um, there's a switch over to a, a playmaker being more deeper, someone like Thiago, or pushed a bit further out wide into this this half space, as it's known. Um, in, in certainly on footballing Twitter, like David Silver used to be. You know, hmm. David Silver would, would never be in the number 10 position in the centre. It would always be in between 
the supporting left back and, and centre forward. And I think that lack of player in that has allowed Kane to sort of find a bit of a niche for himself. But certainly the passing is is something that everyone who's watched Tottenham and you can see it from players that play with Kane and alongside him at England at England level his technique is so ridiculous and I know it was laughed at right and I think it was a ridiculous decision but I know why Roy Hodgson put Kane on corners in the year 2016 <clears throat> it was is for his technique 100% you say the same thing about uh, penalty takers you know not every penalty taker is a bona fide goal scoring legend are they <laughs> like it's it's to do with technique and I think when you when he works it and adds this into his game whatever he does whether it's the half volley or a pinging it around like if you've got a sound technical basis to work off he can do everything I think he's just he's the ultimate big game player isn't he and unfortunately for Tottenham they're just playing fewer and fewer big games <laughs> um, just because of where they are as a club but yeah he's, he's I hate this phrase but he is a clutch player um, when they when they need him and yeah he just proved that again on Saturday didn't he? he's, Look, he's superb I, I think it Spurs need to they need to back content. I think I've been saying it for a while, but I think they need to back this sort of level as well. And if you can raise your game and say, right, this isn't a flash in the pan. We need this from you every week, Harry. We need this from the rest of the squad. Because like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, Burnley and Leeds away this week for Tottenham. And if you've just gone to the Etihad and won, those two, <laughs> you need to back it up with yeah. two victories. But it's, yeah. Let the standards slip and Kane does means nothing. It's going to be so interesting to see how Spurs do perform in those games because I don't think we've we've learned an awful lot about Spurs from this game against City. I think City kind of played into their hands a little bit. I don't think the City's defenders knew what to do with Kane. He was dropping off, and you know if if you've got a player of his quality dropping off and finding those little pockets of space, City leave acres of space in behind their defence where he can play Son in like he did for that first goal, where he can play Kulusevski in like he was playing in in for most of the game. Burnley aren't going to give you that space. True. So do Spurs have a have a, a way to play against a team like that who are going to play a low block themselves? They can't both park the bus, can they? Because you know it's not going to, it's not going to work. So I'm really interested to see how Spurs build on this now and, and what what lessons they've kind of taken from it. Because I don't think Spurs could just replicate that performance against most teams in the league. Well, I believe Johan Cruyff said the perfect game of football finishes nil nil. <laughs> May, uh, secretly he was talking about Spurs Burnley at Turf Moor on a <laughs> yeah. Wednesday night as the ultimate game of football just maybe not with two low blocks uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll move on from the, uh, actually talking about one of the oppositions that Spurs come up against and Leeds United lost 4-2 at home to Manchester United on what can only be described as a wet and wild Sunday <laughs> looking at the conditions on the pitch. Um, did this win sum up Manchester United's season, Alex? Individual brilliance marred by periods of complete defensive disarray. Yeah, yeah, I think it probably does, to be honest. I think, I mean, we've seen from, certainly since Bielsa's uh, got them back up, Matt Leeds have been Man United's sort of perfect opponent. They just totally play into their hands and I think they did that on Sunday. But yeah, like you say, there was a lot of individual brilliance. I thought Sancho, that's probably his best performance in a Manchester United shirt. Sure. I, I thought he was absolutely superb. Bruno Fernandes scoring in two games in a row for the first time in a year, which that's a big thing for them because... He was such a big part of why they why they finished in the Champions League last season. I mean, I know a lot of those are penalties, but yeah, him getting back on the score sheet is huge for them. And That's got yeah, yeah, a serious fraud office office case for a while, <laughs> yeah. hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was a. I mean, it's been said elsewhere, but it was just a proper game of football, wasn't it? It was just the mud, the rain, the wind. It just really added to it. 
I saw um, a photo of Scott McTominay's ankles that he posted on Instagram after the game that were all torn to shreds by tackles. So, yeah, it was um, it was proper football and it was brilliant. Yeah, it was a great another great game from this weekend. It really was. It, it just screened Yorkshire. That was what I was thinking <laughs> when we were watching the game, Yorkshire. I think um, we'd forgotten how much Leeds hate United, actually, hasn't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it seems like Maguire scoring to silence his critics um, is a bit ridiculous because they weren't exactly <laughs> judging or ridiculing his goal-scoring efforts, but more his defensive efforts. Should he be shushing the crowd after a nice slide tackle instead, Dan? <laughs> Maybe so, yeah, yeah. I, I... I kind of think with Maguire, I think I think a lot of the criticism he gets is a little bit unfair, actually. I mean, I've indulged in it myself as a City fan, obviously, but it's only a couple of years ago, uh, you know, when he's when he's at Leicester, when he's when he's been playing really well for England, when he's on the radar of all the top clubs, when City are interested in him and and they're looking at paying eighty million for him. And he's gone to United, and the time he's been at United, they've been a bit of a shambles, really. They've not defended well as a team. They've had no kind of pressing from the front. They've been all over the place, really. And I think he has kind of carried the can as captain for a lot of that, and. He makes mistakes sometimes. He he uh, isn't the greatest defender on the ball, but I think for the most part he's he's performed pretty well for United, and I think he's just become a bit symbolic of the kind of piss taking that, that everyone has has kind of made of them in the in the past few years. I I think we might see if they get a top quality coach in the summer, we might see a different side to Maguire, and a few people might be sort of eating the words on him. But yeah, it was <laughs> there was that what was that the first goal in 139 attempts from that the was corner? It. First, yeah. first of the season, yeah. First yeah. From a corner, yeah. Yeah. Which is unbelievable attempts. really, isn't it? And that sort of shows you that how badly coached they've been all season because a, t- a team who has a plan for set pieces does isn't that bad. So I think that that is sort of indicative of where they've been as a club recently. So I mean, you'd like to think once a proper top-level manager comes in that they can improve on that area of the game. But yeah, yeah, first of the season from a corner is so <laughs> unbelievable, really. You think they'd be better at it with Maguire to aim at? Like he's literally yeah, yeah. known for that. <laughs> yeah. And Ronaldo who could leap about eight feet into yeah. the air. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I, I, I have to agree with you there, Dan. I do think that Maguire does get a lot of unnecessary flack. But like I always say, this comes from basically playing for a top six team. If you honestly, if he was putting in these performances for Leicester now, like someone like Vestergaard or Sir Hintu is, who who are far worse than Maguire, um, you wouldn't really see too much of it. It's only when you play for a big rival team that it seems that online you just sort of get loads of shit, to be honest. Yeah, yeah I think that's fair. My my big takeaway from this game from United's point of view was um, it was interesting. There was a story in one of the papers yesterday morning saying that they, they won't stand in Ronaldo's way if he wants to leave in the summer. And that must have come from somewhere. So they, I, I, I reckon they, there must be some sort of murmurings at this point that Ronaldo might be off in the summer. He might go somewhere else. And I don't think United should stand in his way. I think they should just say, thanks for the memories. See you later. Because... He played this game, he missed a really good chance at nil-nil. He didn't do an awful lot else. And you see the potential they've got with with Sancho there playing like that, with, with Bruno Fernandes, even Jesse Lingard contributing. Elanga comes off the bench and scores. I think United need to move on from Ronaldo. I think they should never have brought him back in the first place. And I think they would, they'd be wise to uh, to let him go in the summer and move on without him now. Yeah, especially if they're making such an effort to like plan for the future. You know, This mm. is the new project, this is Rannick, this, that and the other. You can't, I think it, it really summed it up, didn't it? Going all out for Sancho, saying, oh, you can't mm. quite have the number seven shirt makers because Cavani's got that. Take 16 instead of whatever he's got. And they're <laughs> just going, oh, yeah, Ronaldo. That's, you know, I think that's a bit indicative of United in the last few years. Mm. But who knows? Maybe it will change in the summer. Uh, as for Leeds, though, they find themselves being very loyal to Bielsa, I find, and what he's <laughs> achieved with the club, which has been pretty good. 
Um, but do they get rid of him and bring in a survival expert if things continue like this? I'm not. I'm not advocating Sam Allardyce. I just said survival expert. Well, who who else could you possibly mean? Bear Grylls, survival expert <laughs> yeah. of the highest order. Do you reckon they go for it or? Uh, no, I, th- I think I think they'll stick with Bielsa. I think he will keep them up, and I think that will be the natural endpoint to his to his Leeds tenure. Um, what they're about five points off the relegation zone mm. still, aren't they? So. I can't see them being one of the worst three teams in the league this season, although I, I think they are pretty poor. And I'm not expecting them to do City any favours when they go to Anfield in midweek. Um, I mean, they showed a bit of character in this game, didn't they? I think it was pretty baffling that, that Bielsa dropped Rafinha to the bench. I'm yeah, not sure what, get that what, the, one. what that was about. And they... they saw what he could offer as soon as he came off the bench and they, they scored two goals in a minute to equalise with him involved. Um it's been a tough season for them in all kinds of ways. Mm. and They miss Phillips, uh, don't they? They really yeah, miss yeah, sure. yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, I, th- I think they'll stick with Bielsa and I think that'll be it for him. And I think uh, you'd have to say he's done a done a decent decent enough job there. Right, let's return to Saturday's fixtures as Liverpool came from behind against Norwich. But the result was well-deserved for Klopp's team. Uh, Alex, we saw a front three of Salah, Mane and Diaz work well as they all scored. So where does this leave Liverpool in terms of their central striking pecking order? None of those three are out and out strikers, but if they continue like this, Jota will be concerned. Who's ahead of Firmino and Origi still there? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd still think that Salah, Mane and Jota's there, probably their number one at the moment. For like the the properly big games, that's the three that he'll go, go for. But yeah, the way that Luis Diaz has come in and just performed so well straight away, it says sort of everything about Liverpool's scouting network and how they're how they're just prepared to pay the pay the money for a player that they really want. You know, they did it with Van Dijk however many years ago now that they saw Tottenham room for Luis Diaz and just were like, sod it, we're just gonna pay the uh, release fee and, and just get him and yeah, it's worked perfectly. I thought he's he's looked really good. All three of them I mean I know it was only Norwich, but all three of them looks really good at uh, on the weekend. So yeah, they they really are firing on all cylinders, and I think I don't know. It feels like the momentum is is with Liverpool at the moment. But I've been looking. I was looking at their fixtures, and, and although they've got a few few like relatively easy games to come, it's the March which looks unbelievable. They got Arsenal, Liverpool, Man City, Villa, and Everton all in the space of in the space of five weeks. So. Yeah, it's going to be absolutely. Man United, you mean the playing as well, aren't they? I think. Yeah, in May, March. Yeah, and then when they play, I think it's City on the 9th of April. Uh, that is that is in the middle of uh, two Champions League quarterfinals. So if they get each other in the uh, in the Champions League, that could be a sort of classico for uh, for the modern age. No, it's going to be uh, going to be fascinating watching them. It it, it the is. It really is. And I, we were talking about this earlier, Dan. And there's I can go one better for you, Alex. They could get drawn in the FA Cup semi-final, <laughs> which would top off that 10 days of action. So you're right. Yeah. It would be the quarterfinals of the Champions League sandwiching in the clash at the Etihad and then the, an FA Cup semi-final. What are your thoughts on this, Dan? A mini-series against Liverpool. How, but th- let's say that happens. How many are you confident of winning? I mean, it would literally kill me. That's that's what would happen if, if we played Liverpool four games in a row. I would actually die. Death by uh, overstimulation. I mean, uh, to be honest with you, at, at that point, I'd, I'd take just the, just a win in the Premier League, and, and we could we could lose the rest of them because. Uh, yeah, I'm feeling pretty pretty nervous about things now. I've I, I actually booked the uh, the weekend off today to go back to Manchester for the Liverpool home game because I thought I'm either going to sit in my flat in Berlin and watch it, driving myself insane, or I go to the stadium and be surrounded by you know forty thousand screaming City fans. <laughs> at least at least that way I'll I'll be sort of among uh, you know in, in good company. But yeah, it's uh, it's 
it's very t- tense now, the title race, isn't it? And a, a level of tension that I was told that I didn't have to worry about, that people assured me <laughs> months ago that the title race was over and everything. And, and cities, nobody can compete with this Man City team. They don't give you a chance. They've spent too much money, blah, blah, blah. I mean, people were saying after the game at the weekend, um, Richard Keyes being one of them, so I'm not taking it too seriously, <laughs> but people were saying like, oh, City made a huge mistake not signing Harry Kane in the summer. It's like, hang on. Do we spend too much money or not enough money? Yeah. Which is it? Like you can't, you can't you can't just say after our first defeat since October yeah. that oh if they have this player they'd be they'd be winning the league. Like I'm not it's sure just, it's if you had that player you'd be winning the league. But if Tottenham didn't have Kane, then we wouldn't yeah. have won the match probably. Yeah. Uh, I I was thinking right, would the fourth game technically we're, we're saying you know this is a hypothetical here the fourth game of Manchester City Liverpool. They should have figured each other out so well in the previous three that it would just be the most bizarre game of football ever. It, 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 well, do you remember, it, it do you remember just... those Real Madrid-Barcelona yeah, games in exactly. like 2011? I mean, they got so tiresome. I mean, admittedly, that was Real Madrid's Mourinho, so that's a slightly different kettle of fish. But yeah, it would... Um... I don't know. There would be too much of a good thing, I think, if it yeah, was four exactly. times in two weeks. And, and, or it would force one of them to do something mental. Yeah, Guardiola would. Yeah, yeah. Be up, yeah we be know up which for one. Three of them, days yeah. straight trying to work it out, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be the, so I mean, overly tactical. The, the fact that that game, that Premier League game, is sandwiched between the two legs of the Champions League game, regardless of whether City are playing Liverpool or not, does add an extra element to the game. If both teams have had a or have a, a tough game to come next, uh, then it's going to be. Well, I think there'll they'll be it'll be the test of depth, as everyone keeps talking about. And I, mm. what I did find funny actually in the weekend was uh, after this victory, as you were back on track um, with the game against Norwich, Klopp sort of brought up again the fact that he could make changes after he got such a glowing review in all the press for making changes against Inter Milan. It was oh, Klopp's a genius. You know, made the triple sub, won the game, and he was sort of oddly patting himself on the back again. Uh, I saw in the post-match interview against Norwich saying, oh, we got, had the subs, you know, I made them again and they made the difference. And I was thinking, mm, aren't I brilliant? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Christ, honestly, just milking it for all it's worth. He's like, look at me, I made subs. Well, what do you do, Basil? <laughs> Although I, I, do, I, do, I do think that this is probably something that hasn't really happened in Klopp's time at Liverpool, but they've got no injuries really to speak of now. Mm. There's like the whole squad is completely fit, which, yeah, like I say, hasn't really happened in his time there. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how he sort of chops and changes going forward because, yeah, it's going to be the first time for mm. to be able to do that, really. But like we've L- mentioned... Liverpool, like... Go on, sorry, Dan. I was going to say, Liverpool probably have a deeper squad than City at this point. Yeah. I'd say, you know, having, having sold Ferran Torres and not replaced mm. him in, in January, like we are, you know pretty flimsy in terms of our options really so for them to bring Diaz in I think that that really could could be a game changer that, for them. that could be a game changer definitely when we see how many names we mentioned there and of yeah. course not forgetting Origi we didn't even mention Minamino either yeah, yeah. <laughs> but just one more point on the title mm. race by the way one thing that people were saying earlier in the season when it looked like City were running away with it because Liverpool drew a load of games and City kept winning was that you know City don't give you a chance you can't afford to drop points against City or they'll just steam away. And it's like, we've dropped five points in the past, like 36 points available or something. And Liverpool have kept winning and they've yeah. caught us up. So it's the same for both teams, really. You can't, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be like 18-19 season again, I think, where it's mm. going to be really tense right until the final day. I mean, if Liverpool win that, uh, win that one at the Etihad, they're level on points with a better goal difference, then... It's and you know, City that, you've got on the, you know City have got on the final day, don't you? Don't remind me. 
<laughs> it is Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa. Yeah. I saw I saw someone tweet saying if he beats City, does he get a medal? If <laughs> yeah. Liverpool win the title, they just send him one. That'll be some sort of redemption. But anyway, all, if if buts and maybes. Uh, one thing that Norwich are dealing with is a certainty that they could go down. They were the only side in the bottom four not to pick up any points this weekend. Let's begin with a relegation dogfight. With Burnley's 3-0 win at Brighton, the same Brighton that put up a decent showing at Old Trafford with 10 men on Tuesday. Uh, I know you're a big Graham Potter fan, Alex, but is this the sort of result that's going to be used as a baton to beat him with when he's in the discussion for a big-time move uh brighton this season have less wins and more losses at home than away really i didn't mm. know that yeah this is um i mean i can't even like pretend that uh, there was a smash and grab for burnley really because i just i just thought burnley were a much better mm. team really um yeah like you say i've i've been big on my praise of Potter on this uh podcast before but yeah it was a very weird one for, from brian i thought they just looked totally passive the whole game did not know how to deal with Veghorst and, and Burnley's more uh, agricultural style of play, should we say. <laughs> and um, yeah, they just were totally bad, really. So yeah, no, no defence from me, I'm afraid. But yeah, like I say, it is something that if big clubs are looking at, at Potter going forward, stuff like this is going to be a bit of a concern because yeah, they, they really didn't have a clue how to deal with Burnley. But also, fair play to Burnley. They were they were really good. For, for a team that had just won one game all season, yeah, this... Totally came out of nowhere for me, but it looks like they, yeah they are sort of working out how to play with their course and and how how to sort of get the ball up to him quickly and and make the most of his uh, his attributes. So yeah, fair play to Burnley, but Brighton were were not good, not good at all. I've got to say, I was very impressed with their course. Taking a few yeah. a few games to get going, but you saw bits of it in previous matches. Very nice turns, a one-touch play. I thought he was brilliant. And they were clinical, Burnley. Three goals out of four shots on target. Yeah. Um, Dan, what impressed you most, though, about Veghorst and his style of play? He's just a got good touch for a big man, hasn't he? He's the, <laughs> but how, he's, how he's does man, he differ from Chris Wood? I don't think he does a great deal, really. Maybe he's, he's got a little bit more quality. I mean, Wood has, has been really good for Burnley in the past and, and hadn't really scored uh, a great deal of goals for them this season. Um I just think, yeah, he's 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 taken to the Premier League like a duck to water. Um, he looks good. He's finishing as good. He's, his hold-up play is really good. He's got number nine on his back, which is just very aesthetically pleasing for a man of his size. And yeah, I mean, do you know that Burnley's xG in this game was 0.62 compared to Brighton's, which was 0.60. So I, I think the the scoreline flattered them to use a, a football cliche, and I think uh, it's obviously unsustainable in, in the long run. They're not going to. You know, win every game from now until the end of the season. Three 0 are they? Um, they're going to have to find a way to to improve their xG, and and that will uh, potentially pull them away from the from the relegation zone. But yeah, Veghorst looking like a great signing. Have the Burnley fans started singing "Woo, there it is, Woo, there it is," because they, they should do. That's they can have that one for free. Yeah, no royalties <laughs> on that one. That yeah. is absolute gold dust. <laughs> I think you're right though. They do the things with Burnley now, and probably we'll get onto the rest of the relegation teams. They need to pick their battles. They need to pick the games where they think, right, we can go to Brighton and we can do this. We can use Veghorst and we can win. Not necessarily relying on, on going and causing the upsets and picking up the points in the big games. But I think if they can plot exactly where they need to go and win, um, they'll be better off, I'd say. I, I certainly think it, it's a bit more promising from them. Uh, and the same as well from Aston... Sorry, not from Aston Villa, from Watford. 
Certainly not from Aston Villa. They now have back-to-back losses to Watford and Newcastle. And the excitement seems to have drained a little bit from Villa Park. Um, Danny Ings was an interesting topic for me. It hasn't really gone right. Everyone was a bit surprised. They sort of pulled the signing out of nowhere for £30 million and, and rightly deserved after his form at Southampton the past couple of years. Four Premier League goals all season uh, was part of this attacking trio that managed one shot on target from 20 attempts versus Watford. Where do you think it's gone wrong for him? Is it is it the player, Alex, or do you think something in the Aston Villa system? Um, yeah, it probably is something in the system. They've, they've tried to sort of before play him with Ollie Watkins, which on paper it looks good, but it just sort of hasn't really worked in practice at all. And like you say, at the start of the season, that was sort of the signing. It came totally out of the blue. Everyone was saying how good a bit, bit of business was, but certainly when Dean Smith was manager, they, they really struggled to sort of create meaningful chances. And Danny Ings is a sort of striker that wants to try and play on the last on the shoulder of the last defender, get in behind and Watford um, sorry, and Villa just weren't doing that before uh, before Gerard came in. I think it surprised me how sort of poorly he's done since Gerard's arrived. I, I still like him as a striker and I'd still persist with him. I don't think he he's you can't sort of write him off as a total failure yet. I I do think that he's Certainly got goals in him, and he's he's a proper Premier League striker. I would like to see him play more centrally on his own in the one with with support. But I think just generally goals have been a problem for Villa all season. I think if you look at that, who's scored the most goals for them this season, it's Jacob Ramsey who scored five. <laughs> so goals generally are just an issue for them all over the pitch. So yeah, I don't know if you can totally blame Ings at the moment, but yeah, I would I would quite like to see him as that central one and give him a bit of a run in the team because. Yeah, I do think he's uh, he can do things, especially with Coutinho now in the team, who's sort of tailor-made for laying in Danny Ings, I think. Yeah, you'd think so. But at the weekend, I mean, I thought they were really, really poor. We actually spoke about Watford recently. They needed defensive solidity to make sure the attacking quality wasn't in vain. And, and here we are. Roy Hodgson must have listened to this podcast because they got two clean sheets in four games and it was a brilliant cross from Saar, nodded in by Emmanuel Dennis to give the Hornets all three points. That's all the quality that they need. Um, <laughs> we'll move on, though, to West Ham against Newcastle, the one-all draw, and 11 points from the last 15 for Newcastle on the up-and-up, and they did so without St. Maximan and Trippier, two of their better players recently. Uh, Joe Willock actually grabbed the equaliser, his first of the season after 8-14 in 14 on a loan spell last season. What do you think of his role at the club moving forward, Dan? They spent £25 million on him, six-year contract, but of course, this was before the takeover. <laughs> yeah, it's it's strange. He, he did have that, that that amazing flurry at the end of last season, and that is just not really sustained in any any meaningful way, has he? It's, it's hard when I think about Newcastle not to draw parallels with Man City when they were taken over. And he reminds me of uh, Do you remember Joe, the Brazilian that City signed? They signed him like <laughs> a week a week over. Yeah, they signed him like a week before the takeover for like oh. seventeen million, and he was awful. And I'm not saying that Willock is awful, because I think he is quite good, but it's strange how he's not kind of kicked on this season. And who knows, maybe this will this will spark a bit of, uh, bit of life. I thought it was a it. very good goal. It was very clever. It was a yeah, very it was clever goal for him. Yeah. Just crept over the line, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. because yeah. obviously with the new owners, the second, and especially in the summer, the second there's a bit of worry, or when you've got a full transfer window ahead of you, you think, you know what? I'm going to identify who I want to stick in the team and every other position we're going to buy for. Let's go on a shopping spree. So you're just... At Newcastle, it's tough because you've got to hope you're one of them that they want to keep around. Because if not, 
regardless, you're going to be out. And I think 25 but, but million six year contract is big. But that's a uh, that. I mean, but that that doesn't really matter to them, does it? Now to Newcastle, they can if they can if they don't see Joe Willett performing, that they can write that off as just an expense. It doesn't really matter. I do I do think the fact that now everyone in that squad has to play for their place in the team is going to be the sort of factor that keeps them up because certainly before Eddie Howard, they didn't give them a chance. I thought they were they were terrible mm-hmm. and they were definitely one of the three worst teams, but. Yeah, I mean, fair play to them. They've, yeah, they've they've done well so far, and in the short time that Eddie Howe's been there, they they certainly do look like a different team. I think. I think earning your place in the team and earning your place in the hearts of Newcastle fans is what you do when you're Dan Byrne and you absolutely <laughs> smash Jared Bowen. Yeah. <laughs> the ball's got out of play last minute, and he just goes through him. Surely that's a card. <laughs> I can't yeah, I mean, get I, I, for it. yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, he's a Geordie, and he's proper. He's born and raised Newcastle fan, so he knows what it means to wear the shirt. Put it that way. Do you reckon there's any truth to that rumour about Chris Wood doing making meowing noises <laughs> yeah. at Kurt Zuma? Oh, yeah, I, I, I really hope that, really. that is <laughs> yeah. true. Yeah. I think the thing is, though, that's something that's Twitter cannon fodder. Yeah. That's something that <laughs> yeah. everyone would believe and retweet. Nobody's denied it, though. That's yeah. what always uh, makes me think that there's probably you, some truth. How do to you it, prove it? Yeah. How do you prove it? I saw there was, there was something I saw about um, it was sort of best best chat in the match where players mm. putting each other off, and there was Jimenez. Did you see this? The Atletico Madrid defender, Uruguay oh, yeah, were playing Colombia, and he was up against Falcao, and he kept saying like, "It's my debut. I'm going to get a tattoo." How, do you spell September with or without a P? <laughs> and he was like, what kind of car do you drive? And just constantly annoying Falcao. Of the great game. So I'm all up for that funny chat. Um, Probably not what Zuma did, though. In fact, definitely not what Zuma did. I'm not up for that at all. No. Um, but as for West Ham, their form seems to have stuttered. Um, are they one? They are, sorry. Are they one? They are one point behind uh, Manchester United in fourth. Could we see them be the next Leicester, though? I mean this in the way that Brendan Rodgers had Leicester so close to Champions League qualification two years in a row. And it seems like the disappointment of not making it has taken its toll on the group. And now he's talking about a massive uh, makeover of the squad in the summer. Is this what's going to happen to West Ham, Alex? This is their second year of fighting for it as well. Yeah, yeah, I certainly can't see them um, being in the Champions League next season. I, I don't know if it'd be quite as heartbreaking as it was for Leicester those two years. And they went down to the final day, didn't they, with them? Mm. And it was, uh, yeah, pretty pretty heartbreaking. But I, I don't know, West Ham's form has just dropped off totally since Christmas. Thomas Suchek has been a bit of an issue for them for me. I, he's not performed at all since he's come back from that international break. I just, yeah, I don't really know what's gone on there, but yeah, he's been poor. I guess if they are going to do anything, Michel Antonio needs to get back in the goals and Jared Bones needs to keep performing. That maybe they've, yeah, they've just, I don't know, I don't really know what's happened to them because at the start of the year, start of the season, they were, they were so good and yeah, there's been a pretty steep decline. So yeah, I'd, I I don't even know if they'll stay in the Europa League places, to be honest. That's how sharp their decline's been for me. Yeah, and I certainly don't see them making the Champions League. It's like Leicester, though, isn't it? Like you, you have to make some allowances for the fact that they're punching above their weight at yes. all times. Yeah, so they will yeah, revert yeah. to their mean eventually. They are coming up against teams with, with bigger budgets than them, uh, with better players than them. And all it takes is Arsenal or Man United to get the shit together. And West Ham aren't going to finish top four, are they? It's as simple yeah. as that. So... There's not a lot they can do about it, really. Yeah, there, there seems to be an unprecedented amount of teams fighting for top four. <laughs> like we're looking all the way down to eighth. So you're looking at five yeah. teams who could potentially get in there. And you're right, as soon as one of the big boys gets their act together, 
it's going to be a bit difficult for West Ham. Uh, right, next up, staying in London, though, we move to Selhurst Park, where Robolu Lukaku had seven touches all game. <laughs> One of them was from kickoff. I, I literally had to reread this stat a few times because I couldn't <laughs> believe it. I was trying to think of what that's actually like as a player. Like I've played poorly in many a game in my, in my poor amateur career. And I still can't think of what I'd do running around for 90 minutes and touching it seven times. <laughs> so I wanted to take the opposite angle on this rather than everybody just jumping uh, jumping on his back. Could we argue that Chelsea aren't getting the ball to him or playing to his strengths? There's 58% possession with over 500 passes. So it's not like they didn't have the ball, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I actually read something before that I can't find now. I'm trying to find it while we're talking, where they were saying that apparently it doesn't mean that he only had seven touches in the match. It's kind of like meaningful touches or like ball progressions or something like that. There's some there's some other quirk to the stat that means he did actually touch the ball more than seven times. But anyway, I think it shows that he wasn't involved in the game. Yeah. I think we could, we could agree <laughs> on that, can't we? Uh, and I think, well, t- well, Thomas Tuckle was asked about it in his in his press conference today ahead of the, the Lille game. Basically, how would you get... Lukaku sort of more involved and he, he said he doesn't really know <laughs> and it kind of makes you think with 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 Tuchel whether he wanted to sign Lukaku in the first place I think there's some suggestion that perhaps yeah. he didn't whether he had he had him as part of his plans whether he's a kind of striker that suits the way that Tuchel wants to play I think you know you, you look at back to when Lukaku was at United and, and he really struggled there and and left England with his, with his reputation kind of in tatters rebuilt his reputation when he played brilliantly for Inter in an Inter team where he wasn't getting the ball with his back to goal very much he wasn't being asked to hold the ball up he wasn't being asked to bring other players into play he was just being asked to be a striker really and just get on the end of things and finish chances and all that kind of stuff and it seems there's a bit more involved in playing for Chelsea than that and maybe uh, Chelsea are sometimes reluctant to, to give him the ball because they don't know if he can hold it up or, or sort of recycle possession in that way. I mean, what 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 jumps out to me as a possibility is that maybe Spurs and Chelsea should sh- uh, swap strikers in the summer and Kane should go to Chelsea and Lukaku should go to Spurs and play for Conte again. I wonder if, like you said earlier, Dan, about the press conference today and just Tuckle just sort of, not, not, not defending Lukaku, but not really giving an answer as to how he can... But like get more into the game. Do you think this is a bit of a sort of um, hangover from the interview that he did with Sky Italia over Christmas? Probably. You know, yeah. where he said he wanted wanted to leave Chelsea. I wonder if there's a because we've heard from certainly PSG players in the past that Tuchel was quite a, quite a difficult man manager and didn't really get on with his players too much. I wonder if there is some something in that where Tuchel sort of yeah seen that interview and thought, <laughs> you know what. When I can get rid of you, I will get rid of you in the summer. And not let hanging re- him out to dry, but yeah, it's, I don't know. Just seems let- something's going on there, definitely. Yeah, let me read you exactly what he said today. He said, what can I do? I don't know. We have to deal with it. The data is out there and the data speaks a certain language. He was not involved in our game. It's something like this. It's of course not what we want or Romelu wants, but it's not the time to laugh about him and make jokes about him, which suggests there may be another time in the future when it will be time to laugh and make jokes <laughs> about him. Is that what he's saying? Yeah. <laughs> when Tuchel gives us the go-ahead, we'll be yeah, right yeah. on it. But until then, we'll think about how to deal with it. Maybe yeah. it's something to do with this, and I, I say English football, even though obviously Tuchel's German, this sort of idea that we have to fit in someone's physical status into their game. And I think this is what was so amazing about Conte uh, with Lukaku at Inter Milan is that it wasn't sort of, you're the big man, you go up top and be the be the, the target man. right? And maybe Lukaku's got far more to his game. 
but there's this idea that Lukaku is like a Drogba type forward. He's not. He's Van Nistelrooy. Yeah, yeah, he's not so at all. That, that's sort of how you need to play him. As a, and I know Chelsea, Chelsea have their own way of playing, and they sort of when they attack, they do it like a sort of four in a line, and then Lukaku on his own. But he's a he's a world class striker when he wants to be. So there's got to be a way of getting I him, think he's, you know, getting him goals and into the game. He struggled without Reese James and uh, Chilwell yeah. as well, hasn't he? Since yeah, they've yeah, been injured, yeah. they they were supplying him a lot in the early part of the season, and, and they don't have that same sort of width anymore. Chelsea without without so, those two. So to me, that also looks a little bit bad on Tuchel because it's clear yeah. you've got a quality yeah, player. Yeah. So you, your job as coach to bring it out of him, and I think not sort of sort of saying that he has to be this physical kind of player. I would say that. A player's physicality or their stature doesn't necessarily define where they should play. Otherwise, you know, he'd be a centre half. I but, mean, but da- also, but, yeah, sorry, but also, Tuchel has won every competition available to him as, as Chelsea manager. So you can't like totally rip up your game plan. Has he won the Carabao you're... Cup? I well, don't yeah, think so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because, yeah, you're anyway. because your hundred million striker isn't. Yeah. isn't uh, I mean, I know that's that's disappointing, and you'd want him to score goals. But Chelsea are still winning games, and are still, yeah. You know, I think they so. should they should play to his strengths maybe a little bit more. And he won't yeah, have seven yeah, touches. Enough, I mean, yeah. Dan Byrne is living testament to the fact that at six foot seven, you can still be a marauding left back <laughs> like he was for Brighton. So, you know, who, who's to say we won't see a five foot three centre half in the future? <laughs> but <laughs> we'll go next. Uh, actually, sorry, we'll stick with Palace very quickly, Alex. A little uh, touch on them very quickly. They've got just five wins from 25 this season. Um, joint second when it comes to draws in the leagues and zero shots on target versus Chelsea. Their top scorer is Conor Gallagher, who's a midfielder that doesn't even belong to them. I think it's safe to say they need a goal scorer, right? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I don't really know how to sort of look at Palace, really, because you read that out loud and that sounds terrible. <laughs> but, I, but actually, Palace have been pretty good this season, haven't they? I, certainly compared to where I... I mean, I, if I look at my predictions from the start of the season, I'm pretty sure I had Palace going down. You know, they lost... They got rid of they got rid of their manager. They had about 17 players leave in the summer, all out of contract. So to... And I didn't really fancy Patrick Vieira to do much in the Premier League. So to, to sort of turn it around, turn expectations around like that, I think it's been pretty impressive. But... Yeah, like you say, when you've got Ben Teke as your sort of main goal threat up front and Jordan Ayew in support, it's mm. not doesn't scream goals, does it? So, yeah, they, they definitely need to uh, look at their goal scoring options. In, in the, the likes summer. of Elise and Zaha and when Eze's back on top form, they've got, they've yeah, got the chance to create big, the big opportunities. Miss. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. uh, the Odson-Edouard transfer hasn't gone particularly yeah, true, yeah. has it? I was sorry. Yeah. He, he's not so bad considering he doesn't play every game. I think he's got six this season or five. Um, but they, they sort of came in one hot period, uh, a couple against Spurs and I think one against Brighton, I do mm. believe, sort of back to back. But it's not terrible, but it's certainly not what you expect from a big money signing considering how many goals he scored, uh, scored at, at Celtic beforehand as well. Uh, next up, we move to Wolves against Leicester, a Midlands derby, which has seen Wolves quiet, unassuming and often getting overlooked. Just six points off United in fourth with two games in hand. Um, they were excellent against Leicester and one thanks to two screamers from Neves and Podence. Now, no disrespect to Wolves here, but is Neves due a big move to a Champions League club now? We're approaching the end of his fifth season with Wolves, his fourth in the Premier League. Uh, he's 25 years old, only missed eight games in three and a half years of Premier League football now, whilst being very consistent. Seems like a prime pickings for a top side, Alex. Yeah, I think he's absolutely superb. I mean, we great goal. Really, I mean, he, he loves a loves a screamer, doesn't he? Yeah, he's clutch. But just everything about his game, I think, is is 
primed for the Champions League. He's he's always linked with Man United, isn't he? he? Sort of seems to be seems to be linked with them every weekend. Tottenham, I've seen, might be interested in him as well. But I mean, I'd I think he's a fifty million plus midfielder. To be honest, I think he's proved himself in the in the Premier League. I think, but in a Wolves side that are good, are and good. And if you sort of look at their fixtures coming out, they've got Arsenal in the week, but then they've got West Ham, Palace, Watford, Everton, Leeds. You'd fancy them to pick up points there with their so I could definitely see him being in fourth by you know next month or whatever and a lot of that is, is to do with Neves because yeah I think he's him and him and Jaumitino as well in the centre of that midfield is um, yeah it's not to be sniffed at is it I think it's that's the big reason as to why they're, why they're doing so well this season I find it funny that every time I've seen him linked with like Manchester United in the past his physicality always gets brought into it that he's a bit slow and I, I, I mean, thought I thought we were kind of past this era yeah. of needing blistering pace to be a good player. Yeah, is he slower than McTominay? I'm not sure he is. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, if I was a big club, I'd I'd be knocking on walls and stuff. Because I think he's yeah, he's superb. He's great. I think Dendonka as well. That that midfield, yeah. Dendonka, yeah. Moutinho, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Uh, as for Leicester, they were absolute pony. Sorry, Leicester fans. <laughs> the only thing worth mentioning is that Marco Brighton is now level with Nanny for Premier League assists, forty three. <laughs> So, uh, congrats to him, I guess. He's actually one game off 300 Premier League games. I'm not saying bona fide Premier League legend just yet, but with one title to his name and, you know, playing all sorts of positions for Leicester. Who knows? Uh, Next up, though, we'll go to Southampton. 2-0 victors over Everton. Um, It was a great performance from Southampton. There's not really much else to say. I thought they were very solid throughout. Got some exciting young players. Uh, For Everton, though, abysmal was the word that came to my mind. One win in 12 away matches. And Lampard seems to have jumped onto a sinking ship <laughs> instead of off with, without much hope. I mean, their next three games... He's weighing it down. Yeah. <laughs> and he's brought Ashley Cole with him. Just, you know what, if I'm going down, you're going down with me. Um, their next three games are against Manchester City, Spurs and Wolves meaning that the two games after that run, which it's conceivable to think they could lose all three, they've got Newcastle and Watford. We're talking about relegation six-pointers back-to-back here in the middle of March. Who is their saviour, Dan? Who's going to be it for them? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm pretty nervous about uh, City going there next week, actually. Uh, the, the main reason being, not that, not that I think Everton are any good, but that they sort of like do things to themselves that they don't want to happen. Everything, Even when they win, it's sort of in spite of themselves and then beat them yeah then beating City to let Liverpool back into the title race completely it would just be typical Everton wouldn't it at this point so that that would it wouldn't surprise me if they got three points next weekend at all I was going to say looking at that stinking record of one win in 12 away games their next away game is at Tottenham so hold on to your seat Spurs fans it's not always going to be so good uh, Arsenal against Brentford as well this was a 2-1 victory for Arsenal Emma Smith-Rowe and Bakayo Saka flying the flag for Arsenal's young team um, only the second and third goals they've scored in any competition since New Year's Day are those two going to be enough to drag Arsenal into the top four Dan? I don't know about just those two uh, I mean they're both incredible young players playing very well I think Arsenal have, have generally been been very good since about sort of September October time 
I have a feeling they might finish top four, actually. I think also credit is due to Martin Odegaard, who's been fantastic for them recently. I think he's been one of the best players in the Premier League this season. So, uh, so yeah, it's looking pretty good for Arsenal. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with them. Um, I think keeping hold of, of Saka and Smith Rowe could be a, a bit of a worry for them in future if uh, you know the money clubs start start to, uh, start sniffing around. But like Newcastle, as things are going. Yeah, yeah. It's just <laughs> it's a shame Arsenal haven't got a uh, a decent goal scorer this season because that could really be the difference between uh, success and failure for them in, in pursuit of Champions League. I don't think uh, Lacazette is, is going to be the, the man to fire them there. But, you know, if they can add someone like that in the summer, then next season could be really good for them. I think they've built steadily under Arteta and it's, it's, it's really starting to bear fruit now. As for Brentford, they look off the boil somewhat with only one point from the last 21 available. Do you worry for them getting dragged into the relegation scrap, Alex, considering that some teams below them, I'm thinking about Leeds and Newcastle, are more than capable of picking up points. I, I, yeah, I do worry for Brentford. Actually, they were so good at the start of the season, weren't they? You know, I remember that draw with Liverpool, beating Arsenal. They, Brian, sorry, Brentford was like a really hard place to go for teams, and that just doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Don't really know what's happened for them to drop off so rapidly, but you just look at their fixtures now, and I, you just can't see where they're going to pick up any points. I thought they, they missed Ivan Tony at the weekend. He sort of provides that sort of pivotal figure for them in attack that they just didn't have. I'd, and I don't, there's obviously no pressure on Christian Eriksen to get fit and, and be as good mm. as he was before. But I really do think a player of his quality will add something to them. Could, I, I know Thomas, Thomas Frank has said that he's probably going to play against Newcastle in their next game. So that's going to be interesting. But yeah, he could be the difference between them, you know, pick, staying up and picking up a few more points between now and the end of the season, I think. I think you've described what Dan said earlier about returning to the mean. Mm, they were very yeah. good beginning of the season, but maybe this is sort of yeah. them fighting for 17th, yeah, I guess. Fair. The yeah. season's been like me on a night out. Start off really strongly, <laughs> enthusiastically. It's about it's about 1am now in their season, though. And they're, they're, they're starting to feel a bit worse for wear. It's time to probably start thinking about getting a taxi home. So, yeah. <laughs> right, that is, uh, that's all from the Premier League roundup. But we move on to our question of the week. And I've got a little quiz for you. There was going to be some hot topics too. Um, I couldn't find anything hot enough, to be honest. They were lukewarm topics at best. <laughs> so I thought we'll save them for another day. Uh, we were going to briefly talk about the Manchester City metaverse. But and I just... I'm not sure we're all qualified enough. I mean, Alex is our resident NFL expert. Am I? Oh, right, okay. Because I watch one game. <laughs> yeah, because you watch Fair one enough. game. As okay, for the yeah. metaverse, I don't know. So uh, I, I mean, I watched that... Um, that um can't even remember what his name is now that's so mark zuckerberg that video did when he announced it and that was yeah. a very awkward conversation with that woman that's all i remember to be honest. <laughs> so i can't give you much more on the metaverse well, well our question slash quiz of the week comes because it was a weekend for hat tricks as pierre emmerich Bamiang bagged a hat trick for barcelona new zealand and liverpool women's star michaela moore had a torrid time against the u.s scoring a hat trick of own goals and villarreal hat trick of own goals a perfect hat trick was it oh nice and um, and villarreal's arnaut danjuma hit three against granada you know he was with bournemouth getting relegated and now he's tearing up the champions Mm. league in la liga with villarreal um so I've got a hat-trick of questions for you to do with the Premier League. Three questions. I think you'll get at least one of them, I'm sure. So the first one is, which player scored the fastest hat-trick in the Premier League? So Robbie time Fowler. between the first and the third goal. Is it Robbie? Yeah, Dan said Robbie Fowler first. I think it's was Sadio Mane. Yeah, that was beaten. it was beaten, wasn't it? Yeah, it uh, was Mane. It yeah. was Sadio Mane. 
for Southampton against Aston Villa. Two minutes and 56 seconds mm. between the first and the third goal. When I was researching this, there were some absolutely mad ones elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I think there was someone in, a, there was a great story about, I think it was James Hayter who played for Doncaster. Um, came off the bench very late on and scored a hat-trick within 140 seconds. <laughs> and uh, the story behind that was that his parents were in the crowd and didn't think he was going to come on, so left early. <laughs> <laughs> I missed God. the 140 seconds, probably the greatest of their son's <laughs> career. But yeah, there you go. Uh, the next question is, who scored the first Premier League hat-trick? Robbie Les Fowler. Ferdinand. <laughs> yeah. I'll go with Les Ferdinand as well, yeah. A good guess, but not quite. It was Eric Cantona. Oh, was it? For Leeds United in August 1992, right at the start of the Premier League, and a 5-0 victory over, of course, Tottenham. (laughs) Who else to be on the wrong end of a record? And lastly, but not least, I've given you um, uh, a few answers here because it's very difficult to guess. If you do guess it straight off the bat, I'll be astonished. Uh, How many Premier League hat-tricks have been scored? Since that first one from Cantona. Three. So... I've got four answers to give you a bit of a ballpark because we could be here all night. So A, 290, B, 355, C, 401, or D, 436? Um, 401. Oh, I was going to go the opposite, 290. Well, it's bang in the middle with 355. Uh, (laughs) Of those, Liverpool lead the way with 42 hat-tricks. Uh, Arsenal with 40, United 34, City 30, Chelsea 27, Spurs 25, and then a smattering of other teams below them. Uh, You've got teams in there like Blackburn and Newcastle who were right at the top for the 90s and then haven't seen one in about 20 years. Those died since. (laughs) It was Shearer. It was literally, that's all all it was. Um, So there is your hatching of questions to round off today's Premier League podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you guys so much for joining. As always, in the meantime, you can tweet me at Matt underscore Frolic or at one one football even or drop us an email with any other questions, suggestions and feedback you may have. The address is podcast at onefootball.com. Thanks again for joining me. We'll be back with loads more next week, probably next Monday after the round of fixtures. But until then, we will see you guys later. <laughs>